This week on a lively experiment, Governor Raimondo inserts herself into hospital merger talks. And it was a tweet by Bishop Tobin heard around the world. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us this week, legal analyst and attorney Lou Polner, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and Bob Walsh, executive director of the National Education Association of Rhode Island. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Jim Hummel. A Boston-based health group didn't quite leave Care New England at the altar, but it did break off its year-long engagement this week with little explanation. That prompted Governor Raimondo to push Lifespan and Care New England, the state's two dominant health care providers, to explore merger talks once again. The abrupt announcement by Partners Healthcare leaves many questions and a sense of deja vu for many in Rhode Island that we've been down this road before. Uh, Lisa, we have been down this road before. Mm -hmm. We talked about Lifespan and and Care New England. Did you get any sense about why Partners pulled out? I didn't see any thought on that. Well, you know, the whole time I was trying to understand the sequence of what happened because it was so rapid, the reporting that day, that the governor was out there making her announcement, Partners saying that they were pulling back. But I wanted to know what happened first. Did the governor decide uh, that she wanted to bring these t- uh, the Rhode Island systems together and wanted to make that announcement? And then partners said, oh, okay, because you want to do that, we'll, you know, we'll back off. Or did, or did partners say, we're going to back off, and then she's quickly out there saying, bring them together. So. No, you're right. The sequence was very, uh, very, very close to one another. I mean, I know that uh, when they backed out, uh, that was great news for Lifespan. I mean, Lifespan has been wanting to merge with Care New England now for 20 years. There have been two attempts in the past that have failed. And the reason they failed, from my understanding, is because the Attorney General's Department, under uh, both Lynch and uh, Kilmartin, sat on the documents and the paperwork, and their approval is needed before the merger can go forward. And despite the production of millions of documents, the Attorney General's Department, they never acted on it, and therefore those two attempts failed and now they're trying to get it done and I think Governor Raimondo's helping. What could have happened here is what we've been hearing for months since the application went in is the application's not complete. It's not complete. We can't act on it until it's complete. Well, it could have been that... Something else was going on. Something else was going on. So it could have been, and of course it needs to have the approval of the Rhode Island Department of Health director. It could have been that she was about to announce that it is complete and she was going to approve it with conditions. And my thought is this governor doesn't want to be the governor that has the hospital systems going to Boston. So this is her attempt to one more time to try to bring them together. And if they don't come together, then she can say, at least I tried. And now... Yeah, I I think that uh, that's the end of my analysis. Uh, Lisa just articulated one more try before they give away. That's it. Five seconds for Bob Walsh. Well, shortest analysis. Well, I think sometimes uh, the straightforward explanation is the one. The only thing I slightly disagree with in the past analyses is... I think Lifespan wanted to acquire Care New England. The Care New England would have been open to a merger. And acquire has a very different tone to it. Like, who's the surviving entity? Who's, you know, the big it's bully pushing right? in? Oh, there's a territorial issue. There's a right down to the who gets to be on the board of directors and everything else. And I, 
I'm not sure who to root for in this. I root for the employees, of course, because that's my day job, and I want to make sure that we have a robust health care network for the region centered in Rhode Island. So that's the outcome I want. So how do you get from here to there? Um, It's worth a shot. Uh, A lot of people I talk to don't think this effort will be successful. I think it has a chance of being successful, but it's really going to be properly structured. But then where does that leave structured. the healthcare system? Again. Well, then we're back to now. There's then it's no excuses. Then well, Boston comes in and well, see, partners isn't a desirable option for lifespan. Uh, the the fear is that uh, they will take all the good doctors and all the good procedures and the expensive procedures North. and t- take them to Boston, and therefore leave us the dregs. And that's why it's been distasteful uh, to lifespan to have. Uh, partners uh, engaged in any type of uh, uh, acquisition or merger. Of course, Lifespan <laughs> Lifespan went on a huge public relations blitz. You heard it on yeah. the radio, you heard all that, and the governor I read in one of the stories said, well, I've had increasing concerns about that. You can imagine probably the lobbying that was going on behind the scenes, right? A- because at the beginning, a number of months ago, she was in favor of partners, at least she was speaking favorably of them. So yes, you know, Lifespan did do a full court press uh, to try to get public opinion on it, too. But one thing that came out of, if you really were reading the articles and people's comments, too, even if Lifespan, Sandy, and Brown come together, you know, as, as an entity, partners said that they're just set, stepping on, aside right now. They very well could come back in and want to buy or it's merge more yeah. with them yeah. anyway. Right, right. So, you know, it's not <laughs> over if this... If, if, if do they do hospital well. takeovers in the, uh, in the hospital industry? Why not? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, there is that... I've heard that uh, humorous reference already this week that maybe they're just waiting so they can just take one big bite That's out of Rhode better, Island right? instead of two small bites. Yeah, you, know? you guys will fight it out amongst uh, yeah, yourselves. Yeah, we'll, All right, we will keep an eye on that. It was the tweet heard around the world by Bishop Tobin. He got 90,000 responses to it. What is it? He was talking about Pride Month, and here is the tweet if you didn't hear it. A reminder that Catholics should not support or attend LGBTQ Pride Month events held in June. They promote a culture and encourage activities that are contrary to the Catholic faith and morals. They are especially harmful for children. Lou, I think if he had left off that last sentence, he might have been okay. But that really pushed people over the edge. It, it certainly did. And, you know, I, uh, he's, the, he's the bishop of, of the archdiocese. He, that's his job. That's his uh, mantra. He's the Catholic Church. And uh, I get that. Uh, you're right, though. The harmful to the children was unnecessary. Uh, but, you know, the governor uh, jumped in with two feet. Uh, not only did she declare June to be Pride Month here in the state of Rhode Island, she was going to do it at a private signing in her office, but after the, uh, and and keep in mind she's Roman Catholic, but after uh, Tobin's tweet came out and all the backlash, she invited advocates up to the, uh, to the state house and made a public signing. So uh, I don't have a problem with either side. I don't know why he stepped into this. I was really, you know, I mean, this is a bishop who last year said that, you know, Twitter was taking time away from him. What happened to that? He said, I'm taking time off from Twitter. He He jumped back in because of the abortion issue, quite frankly, earlier in the season. He wanted to talk about it publicly. Well, you know, this what, you know, if I can say, this reminded me of President Trump. 
that when President Trump wants to rally his base, he comes out with something very pr provocative in a comment, and that here's the bishop doing the same thing with this to rally um, the very devout Catholics to come together, and it could be in a deflection of a conversation that more and more, you know, we're talking about sexual abuse with priests throughout the country to, again, bring, rally the devout Catholics to, uh, um, together. But I really found it very disappointing on, on the bishop that he had to become involved. And then the follow-up of what he put, um, I regret that my comments yesterday about Pride Month have turned out to be so controversial. <laughs> That's a, a non if you're, it was like the Ed Dupree apology. Uh, I'm sorry yeah, if, I'm you're sorry if you're offended, offended right? Bob, what do you think? Uh, very frustrating. Uh, when we get to outrages, I'll talk a little bit more about Twitter generally, um, and the Trump reference is valid here. And, and this is sad and it's painful. You know, I grew up Catholic here in Rhode Island, and the bishop has forgotten that his organization, the church, has lost its moral authority on these issues. And, and I think you hit it on the head, Jim, the line about children. Our bishop was in Pennsylvania in a position of authority and admitted he knew there were horrible things going on and basically said that was a different division of the church. Mm -hmm. So trying to claim moral authority, and especially when mentioning children, and I think he knows he did wrong. I assume Rome waited on this. You know, they do pay attention over there, and when you've got 60,000 people paying attention to a tweet that one of your bishop makes, I think that's what got to that half-hearted apology. Yeah, but I also think Rome um, probably <clears throat> did not take issue with a bishop coming out, especially... I'm sure the Catholic Church does have issues with Pride Month. Uh, Tobin's out there maybe carrying the some current, of the water for people. The in. current Pope has uh, taken a more open uh, stance on trying to keep some of the flock intact. I mean, if, publicly, if, the, if the church ever started excommunicating those with whom of the flock who disagree with them on the controversial social issues, they would be a cult. They would no longer be the dominant church in the state. Did you and want the last word on that? No. Oh, I do. Okay. So I can tell <laughs> I'm you. I'm jumping you, in. You know, actually, you know, one of the things that bothered me about this, you know, we, we're a very Catholic state, but also we're a state that's also very welcoming to the LBG, you know, community too. We have friends, we have colleagues, we have neighbors, you know, and and then for him to say, do not attend these these activities. You know, the whole thought is you can't be out there saying that and then lamenting about how the you know the um, number of people coming to church are declining too. So you can't have it both right. ways. You, you're sending a message: you are not welcome here to a significant portion of the population, a subset of whom still want to feel welcome in the religion they were raised in. All right, it's June, and that means the uh, the House budget will uh, be coming out probably within the next week. Uh, probably next week, we'll be talking about this. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. Uh, this is always a busy time for uh, all of us up at the State House. It's interesting. Kathy Gregg had the story. Look, and it's no it's no shock. A lot of the governor's signature issues. They're talking about expansion of Rhode Island Promise. How many times have we talked about that? Universal daycare may not make it just because they, they can't balance the budget. But it, there's severe challenges this this year, and I'm wondering what that budget in your mind is going to look like there, when it comes out of the sausage maker. There are maker. severe challenges this year, uh, but you could write the same story every year that signature issues may or may not make it in the budget because the ones that start getting emphasized at the end are the ones that we're not sure about. They're either expansion of existing programs, new programs, or not. So it's not shocking. Everyone says, well, we've got a $10 billion budget. Why can't they find... Well, most of that's locked in. First of all, it's less than $4 billion from state revenues. The rest comes as federal pass-through money. 
Um, on the specific issues, uh, the governor has used the bully pulpit for the pre-K money, and people, viewers need to understand the first five and a half million of that, more or less, is replacing cuts from federal programs. The Trump administration cut money that was available for those kids. So that part is replacement. And then we want to have more seats for kids. We think, and her, her vision of universal pre-K is a good vision, a vision that organizationally we support and personally I support. It's just how do you get the resources lined up in time to get there and how quickly can we get there? We, it took us a very long time in the state to get universal kindergarten, all-day kindergarten. Um, on the expansion of the Rhode Island Promise, uh, that came in two flavors. Uh, they wanted to expand the program at the community college so that students 25 and older could participate in the program that already exists, and they wanted to expand it to Rhode Island College. That's trickier because the source of funding for the RIC uh, came from one-time money in the first year, and the correct question for the legislature to ask is, well, that's great, but when that money goes away, what are we going to do in the next year? So they are correctly thinking about the long-term implications of all those programs. I'm easy. I'd say raise taxes and do them all. But in this environment, we realize that's difficult, and that's where these tough decisions Yeah, that's Lou's plan, too, raise taxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what the governor wants, uh, to raise tens of millions of dollars on the back of the citizens. I mean, whether it's taxing landscaping, interior design hunting, uh, lobbying. Beach fees. Yeah, it just, it, it's crazy. And, I, and, I, and her I, spokesman said, we presented a balanced budget. It's yeah, there, well, balanced, as you said, on the backs of a lot of people nickel and dime. So my real problem here is, is that, once again, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem here in Rhode Island. You know, we have a million people, and New Hampshire north to us uh, has a million point three, almost a million four uh, population. And the fact is, is their two-year budget for last year and this year coming up is just $12 billion for two, for, two for two years. And here we are, one state, only a million people, and we've got a $10 billion budget for one year. And keep in mind, New Hampshire, they don't have state taxes. Mm. I mean... They have state liquor stores, though. They'll yeah. generate a few dollars. <laughs> we have legal gambling. Mm. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a spending problem. And, and this year we saw from the beginning, and this was unusual this year, that her budget presented pretty much from the beginning wasn't well accepted, that, you know, the General Assembly were challenging, members were challenging it. And the Speaker's been pretty consistent that he does not want to start new programs, start funding new programs, because we know once that happens, then the next year and the next year and the next year, we're in a deficit. So I don't see any of her pro the um, pre-K or the expansion of free tuition happening this year. Oh, I think... Uh at least a replacement and some expansion of pre-K are a strong possibility. I don't know how they're going to work it out with Rhode Island College, but the ironic thing is since the money was replacement money and if they don't do it, they're going to have to give an equivalent amount of money to Rhode Island College anyway. They're going to have to do something because Rick needs the money one way or the other. And no one considered the implications when they did the CCRI Promise Program without addressing Rhode Island College at the same time. Rhode Island College lost a lot of students. So we've actually taken students away from Rick who are now going to CCRI because two years um, for free, it's a pretty good deal to think about where you want to be and then move over to Rick. So we, we caused part of the problem at Rick inadvertently by putting in the CCRI program on a standalone. So, so now we just have to throw more money after it. it well, it depends, but it, it, see, I agree with the long-term vision that we want to subsidize uh, public college education for Rhode Island students because that is related directly to economic development. Shouldn't you be focusing on uh, K-12? to 
Mr. N-E-A-R-I? Oh, if, uh, yeah. that's where the resources well, should be. See, the that's few a, dollars that we have, well, although we have a $10 billion well, that's budget. that's the right, right question, Jim. And if you're asking me that question, because you just did, of the two, if I had to choose between one and the other, I'm picking pre-K before I get to the RIC thing, because that's formative throughout the system. So if, I, if they said, I have $1 left, which of the two are you going to spend it on? I'm going to pick pre-K. That's the honest answer. But... I'll try and raise the other dollar from Lou so I can do both. <laughs> I always thought, I thought it was a tactical error, a, a misjudgment maybe on the governor's part. When, and it was a small thing, but she said, you know, the, the speaker's baby has been the phase out of the car tax. And when the budget came out, they said, well, we don't need this much phase out this year. At the end of the day, we're going to phase it all out. But this year, let's squeeze whatever amount is. I mean, that's a poke in the eye to the speaker. And I don't know how he reacted to that, but I thought that was odd. That, and and when, you, when that House budget comes out next week, that phase out is going to be fully funded. Oh, I guarantee you that. Absolutely. You know, this is the, actually for the observers, this is the fun time of year to sit <laughs> back and see, you know, is everything starting to happen? Not if you're a lobbyist, though. <laughs> no, that's when they really make their, you know, their worth of their money here. But what it's going to come down to is the governor's going to say, this is important to me, the speaker, this is important to me, and the Senate president, and then the, the negotiation here. But going back to the free promise, uh, this, um, free tuition for the promise, the mistake was, one, it wasn't means tested. So anybody under the sun, you know, regardless of their, you know, so that right there to, to start with. And then we just had the first cohort graduate. So we know it's not fully all the students who entered fully 100 percent graduated. So why are we still appropriating millions of dollars for a program when we don't need it? But they said it's oh, they well, the, the, the results, but at, uh, like 18 oh, no, percent are graduating. We, we that's triple a, what it was. We have a long way to go there. But I, I agree with the first point. Fully agree. The meaningful property tax relief is needed in Rhode Island. We over-rely on the property tax. The first step in meaningful property tax relief is to get rid of the car tax. So you're not going to stop that train from coming down the track. Nor Um, should you. I I still think we should balance the budget on a higher price point, but we have to change the ratio. At what point is it unsustainable? The The budget's gone up 30% in the last 10 years, 70% in the last 15 years. So, I mean, to lose point, how... Yeah, but the New Hampshire comparative isn't valid because the federal pass-through money, which is the bulk, a significantly larger portion of our budget to New Hampshire's, is poverty-based. We are a state with more people in deeper poverty than the northern New England states. So that is just that? the way it is. I still say that you've got to control spending. I mean, yes, all right, I grant you that we have some, uh, we're a poorer state than New Hampshire is, but sometimes it, we're, we're, it's the result of what, what we're doing and how we run our, our, our state. I mean, the fact is, is we're horrible for, we just don't encourage business here in the state of Rhode Island. We do nothing to help new business come in, uh, which would go to the I-95 uh, land where Mr. Fain was trying to uh, invest a quarter of a billion dollars in a beautiful building here in downtown Providence, and uh, you know it was rejected. And what does that say to businesses who are thinking of coming to Rhode Island? It says no. We can we can do better. Let's go to New Hampshire. What about that? So, President uh, Senate President Ruggiero has been interested in, in keeping an eye. He's frustrated because he thinks Fain should have gone along. Providence is getting in the way. As a public policy, 
should the legislature be stepping in? It is state land, and I see it from both sides. But what do you think about that bill from a public policy standpoint? Well, you know, we got to remember it was Senator Ruggiero who, uh, whose bill established the I-195 Commission back in 2011. So up to that point, it was, oh, we have this land. Gee, what should we do with it, and who should be, you know, who should oversee it? So it actually goes back to Governor Kachiri. He was the one um, who reached out, or actually it was the city of Providence that very much wanted to be part of this. So he Governor Kachiri and then uh, Mayor Cicilline came together and said. So that started it. Then it led to this commission. Now Senator Ruggiero is frustrated, and rightfully so. We've had this land available, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. There was two schools of thought. Do we have a master plan for it and then go out and seek the um, people, the companies, and whatever to do it? Or do we sit back and let the market come to us? Well, we sat back. The market's coming to us. But now they're getting caught in the whole process of how long it takes to go through through the approval. And it irks me to no end. I mean, really, it was the Providence Preservation Society along with some other uh, groups that were NIMBYs. You know, just not in my backyard. That building doesn't belong in this district. You know, they said that in Back Bay years ago when they built the Prudential Center in the Hancock Tower. I mean, come on, Rhode Islanders. You can't want to be a big boy and play in the big game unless you, you know, get yourself geared up and uh, in uniform. You may find some unity in the panel on this issue, Jim. Um, the General Assembly is fairly easy to figure out on issues like that. I know that's a shocking statement. They generally let cities and towns run the way cities and towns run. They let education run. It should run. But if things get so out of whack, so egregious, that they feel the need to step in, they do. Now, they had a special purpose reason to step in because they, they were the originator of the legislation that set up this particular district. Uh, I, I agree with Lou. If you've got someone willing to put in their own money, not That's asking a lot for of a money. dime yeah. from the state, yeah. and we let you know, local infighting stop that. Now, I'm not judging on whether I'd want that tower there or not. It seemed like a good idea. I would assume that if the private sector is willing to put in their own money, they've done their market conduct to believe that but it would that be filled up. But that market may be changing as yeah, the time goes on, you know, right? But that's, but that's yeah, the, and, and delay can be denial in, in these things. I And you can make the same analysis about the... Uh, uh, well, the Plus Act, you make the same analysis about the fleet building, or they call it Superman building now. I mean, we've got to deal with that. You know, Joe Paley, I did Joe's show the other uh, last week. Joe's absolutely right. We've got to deal with that. We've got this big, empty building there. Um, and uh, if Bruce and Buddy were in their respective positions, it would be something on the industrial uh, trust site, or it would be torn down. Yeah. Let's... You know, there are times where interventions necessary, People and get off the pot. Yeah, no question. Tear it down or do something with it. I Superman. say tear it down because nobody wants it. I mean, everybody—it's iconic. Well, it hasn't been iconic for <laughs> seven years. I think right? there's a massive amount of money that needs to go into that building to make it usable. Yeah. So when you were talking, I think last week on the show, I want to see it implode, just come down. <laughs> you know, you know? I, I'm, I'm, I don't know that any engineer something. could do that. We but. cannot have another Masonic temple where. 40 yeah. years from now, yeah. we're talking about, yeah, it's still empty. When I first came to Rhode Island, they said, oh, well, they stopped it during the Depression. I said, 1929? <laughs> right. And it's right across from the State House. Whatever. All right, let's go. That could be my outrage. Uh, let's go to outrages. Lisa, what do you have this week? Um, well, since this is a political show, um, I... It's not really an outrage, but I did want to duly note that, um, once again, our former senator, uh, Lincoln Chafee, has changed his party. <laughs> so, Is he a cool moose now? He's a, no, he has a, he has, and that, that could be in the offing, but when I look back at his evolution, he started as a Republican that was in his favor to have a Republican governor choose him to fill his father's seat. 
Then he decided to run for governor, and based on the field, running as an independent worked well for him in a four-way race, and he won it that way. Then he decides to run for president, and it makes sense he has to be with a party, so he chose the Democrat Party. Now he's with the Libertarians. I'm thinking, oh, are you joining William Weld? So anyway, it's been it's been. Very intriguing and interesting watching his evolution. We'll have to get Pat Forbes. You guys want him back? Well, yeah. We'll have to get my turn. He'll come full circle. We'll have to get Pat Ford's reaction on that on a future show. Lou, what do you have? Uh, My outrage would be directed uh, straight to the the, the Democratic Party. Uh, You know, yesterday, I mean, the three-year hangover, it should be over by now. He's the president. And if you want to do something about it, beat him in the next election. Yesterday or the day before... Uh, the Speaker Pelosi uh, barked that uh, you know he should be in prison now. Rather than impeach, yeah, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's she, she's older than the Sequoias in the district she represents, and she's holding on to power barely. And she knows that they would lose everything with impeachment uh, prospects because no matter what the House does, it, it fails in the Senate. So instead, she says, you know, uh, he should be in prison. Well, if you recall back to the election and the campaign. The big chant from uh, Trump supporters regarding Hillary Clinton was lock her up, lock her up. And, well, they took a beating from the press and the media uh, because of that kind of a tagline. Here she's denying him all the civil liberties that we fought so hard for. Interesting that it's D-Day celebration uh, and saying he should be in prison when he's not been convicted of a darn thing. Uh, I think they should get over it. And on behalf of the Americans work with the president and get something done. I mean, 133,000 people at the border just in May crossing illegally. Come on. I mean, Obama recognized that there was a crisis at the border, but not when Trump says it. They won't give in because, God forbid, he get a win on anything, and we need a win on, we all collectively need a win on border immigration control. Bob? Uh, usually I say something nice during this period, but I actually have a real outrage. Uh, the other day I posted on Facebook pictures from my garden in lieu of getting into the Twitter war, but Twitter is, is making me crazy, as I alluded to earlier in the show. Uh, I get that Twitter can be a, an effective political vehicle to cast dispersions at the opposition. I've seen some tweets in the last month, why didn't so-and-so get an opinion from the Ethics Commission? Why didn't the governor seek advice from Moody's before she signed the bill. Moody's is a bond-rated agency. Or, did you know that a person who's going to be appointed to something used to work for a company that belonged to a trade association that gave money to the Democratic Governors Association? Those are effective political shots. That's getting in the game, and that's fair. But not when they come from the lead political reporter at the Providence Journal. She's got over 9,000 followers. People look at her as a journalist. When they're putting questions onto Twitter like that, They look like they're news, and they're not news. They're partisan politics. You're putting yourself in the story, and I hope next time you have a panel of all journalists on the show, you talk about how Twitter has brought down the field of journalism in the state and in this country. I get that Donald Trump goes crazy on Twitter. I don't think it's a good tactic, but as someone pointed out, it does get his base riled up. We talked earlier about the bishop making a mistake, but when a reporter tweets, they have a special obligation to research just like they were doing a report. When a, when a reporter has a following that is a significant subset of the subscription rate of the organ for which they report, 
they have a special obligation. And when they don't follow that obligation, they need to be called out. You know, it's interesting. Maggie Haberman from the uh, uh, New York Times at some point took a break from Twitter. I I think a lot of reporters don't realize what you say on Twitter. If that was going into the paper, would it be the same thing? Exactly. Right? I mean, it would be vetted by an editor. And there are no editors. But, you know, she took a break just like Bishop Tobin did, and then they got back on it. So I think we're just in this... This insatiable need that we need to want news, second, 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 what's news, what's news. And reporters are using Twitter to, like you said, take these little pieces and throw it out there. So they build their following so people can get that satisfaction of, you know, oh, I just learned the latest thing. Yeah, but when it has that, when when the only people liking your tweets are one side of the story or the other, or when they're using them to do follow-up, then you say, wait a second, I'm I'm no longer objective. You should never know. I've known Jim forever, forever. I never knew how he personally felt about a story when he was doing a story. And that's the standard that should be met. All right. got to hold you there. Thank you all for coming. We appreciate it. Lou and Lisa and Bob, good to see you again. Great to see you every week. We will be back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Hope you can join us, and I hope you have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, a lively experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 